Well, this morning I'd like for you uh, to, as we think about Mother's Day, if you are a mother here, odds are uh, that at some point you have had a significant man in your life, and most likely that has been your husband. And I thought this morning about uh, how there are times certainly when you can know that uh, that the, the husband is just not quite paying attention. You ever been there? You ever seen those signs of when your husband really isn't listening to you, ladies? And you're just talking and talking and talking and, and talking, absolutely. See, there's always the other side to it, isn't there? And then he changes the channel on the television. And you think that all along that, that intense gaze was his focus on your conversation. Instead, he was watching the game and he changes the channel to another. Or maybe you are at the, the climax of your main point to him and he starts to snore. And maybe you've been there or you have to wake him up from time to time out of his stupor of just simply nodding every 2.5 seconds. Uh huh. And he does that over and over. You know, there are times when our conversations certainly become background noise to us. And in marriage, that's certainly a detriment to the relationship. Uh, the words become background noise, and it's focusing on other things, and ultimately that does hurt the relationship. And in the long run, you know, if, if our conversation, our words to one another become background noise, then we begin to focus less on each other and more on other things, and maybe not taking the other person as seriously as we should. In James chapter 1, the writer James highlights and warns us about something that's very similar to that and not quite as humorous. If you've got your Bible open, I'd like for you to turn with me to James chapter 1. If you're a person who is familiar with the Bible, you'll know where to go. And if you're not, then certainly please don't let that stop you. We want you to bring a Bible to church. If you don't have one, we'd love to provide one for you. If you're a person who doesn't know where the book of James is, by all means, we'd love for you to go to the table of contents. Look there in the New Testament, and you'll see the book of James. It's a short book. It's actually a letter, five chapters, and that's what over in the latter third of the New Testament. We're going to be looking this morning in James chapter 1, continuing a series that we have been in now for four or five weeks called Authentic Christianity. James wrote a letter to a particular group of people. Several folks would read this, and they would learn what does it really mean to be a Christian. How can you tell that your faith is genuine? That it's not just something you talk about, but it is real in your heart. James gives us some ideas about that. I want you to look with me. We pick up this morning in verse 19 of chapter 1, and he says this, My dearly loved brothers, understand this. Everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For man's anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Therefore, Ridding yourselves of all moral filth and evil excess, humbly receive the implanted word, which is able to save you. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and right away forgets what kind of man he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who acts, this person will be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, but deceiving his heart, his religion is useless. 
pure and undefiled religion before our God and Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. There are probably parts of that, if you've read the book of James before, maybe been in church or it preached or even just some heard some proverbial sayings before, parts of this that may be familiar to you. Certainly the opening line, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry, is something that is not only biblical wisdom, but obviously gets thrown around in secular circles as well. I hope to show you, though, that the focus, I really believe, of this particular passage, including those verses 19 to 21, is not not on controlling your tongue in the midst of a relationship. James will get to that in chapter 3 and talk about how dangerous our words can be. It's not just on being a good listener, being a good friend to people by listening. Certainly Proverbs and the wisdom literature highlights that, but I really don't think that's what it's about. And I don't really think it's just about controlling your anger when you're tempted to get mad and fly off the handle. Though obviously the Bible speaks to that as well. If you look at verse 18, if you've got your Bible still open, look at verse 18 again. I want to show you the context of this and how we can figure out what exactly is James talking about. And why does it seem like he comes from left field all of a sudden in verse 19? It says in verse 18, by his own choice, oh my God, he gave us new birth by the message of truth. Other versions will say by the word, so that we would be the first fruits of his creatures. So he leads from verse 18 into verse 19, having talked about the, the message of truth, which is the word of God that has given us new birth, realize we are saved because of the power of God's word and the gospel being presented to us. And then he leads in and he says, now, be, be aware of this. Understand this. Remember, it's connected to the word of God. Understand this. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. And then he says, look at verse 22. What does he say? But be doers of the word and not hearers only. In verse 21, he says, receive the implanted word. And so this whole passage of scripture Verses 19 to 27 really is not talking about just good advice, keep your mouth shut, listen, don't get angry. It's really talking about how do we respond to God's Word. He connects it all together. When you study the Bible, when you read it, one thing that you have to be aware of and you have to be sure of is to read it within its context, which means that I don't go to James chapter 1 and look at verse 19 and immediately think that he's talking about just interpersonal relationships and how to have success in those. Because the overall context points to something else. And so maybe today this will be a little bit different. Maybe you've heard this in a different light before, but I hope you understand that because of what he says before this and because of what he says after this points to what he's talking about, and that is our reception of the Word of God. James is giving us, in this particular book, some tests for authentic Christianity. A few weeks ago, we looked at the test of trials. How you respond to difficulties in life really, in a sense, reveals how authentic your faith is. And certainly we know folks who have gone through difficult times, and they are rock solid, proving and giving evidence of the fact that they truly do know Jesus Christ. We know other folks who may profess Christianity to be what they follow, and then the least little thing happens, and they run away. They say, well, I don't believe anymore. And certainly their faith probably was not genuine in the first place. Then we saw the test of temptation. We looked at that last week. And how true and authentic Christians respond 
to temptation. Not by blaming God, but by taking responsibility, confessing that, and then taking sin and temptation seriously and doing our best to stop it at the emotional level before it can get into behavior. And so true and authentic Christians, James says, pass the test of trials, pass the test of temptations, and now he gives us, in these verses, the test of obedience to God's Word. Now, next week, we're going to look at probably one of the more famous passages of Scripture in the Bible, and that is, be ye doers of the Word and not hearers only. Remember that as a, as a kid, maybe in Sunday school in the King James, remembering and, and memorizing that? He says here in this version, but be doers of the Word and not hearers only. Certainly we know it's foolish to claim allegiance to Jesus Christ and not do what He said and do what He did. And I've often wondered, why is it that many Christians, that many churches are filled with Christians who will hear the Word of God, who will say they believe the Word of God, and then not do the Word of God? Now, I don't have anybody in particular in mind today, but certainly that is true of some of us here. And we hear the Word of God each and every week. We may even read the Word of God on a regular basis. And we believe the Word of God. Yes, I believe it's true, and yet our lives do not reflect that. We are simply hearers only and not doers. And I wondered, why is that? If we hear it, and if we believe it, why does it stop right there and not go into our actions and affect our lifestyles? Maybe you're a person who struggles with that. And you say, I don't understand why I keep doing these things or why I can't do these things. I hear it, I believe it, and what's going on? I can't do it. I really think that in verses 19 and 21, James highlights something that points to one reason why we are not always doers, but we are sometimes merely hearers, and I think it's this, that sometimes the Scripture becomes background noise to us. Much like the husband who's simply changing the channels or falling asleep or nodding unconsciously when his wife is talking, I think we as Christians sometimes do the same thing to God's Word. And it becomes mere background noise to us instead of staying front and center in our lives. I have, I have two goals today. Two goals. One is that I want you to be able to evaluate based upon your reaction to God's Word, the authenticity of your faith. I want you to see today how your reaction and response and reception of the Bible's teaching is a direct reflection on the authenticity of your faith. That's one goal. The second goal is I want to point you, and I want you to leave here today having the Scripture being front and center in your life, and your life being about one book and one book only, and that is God's Word. The Bible. Those are my two goals. I hope to show you those. I hope to encourage you. I hope to inspire you. And I hope along the way that we'll all join up with that. How then does the Scripture, well, does it become background noise? I think the Bible makes it very clear here in James chapter 19, James chapter 1, rather, starting verse 19, that the Bible says, you'll see this on the back of your outline if you'd like to follow along, back of your bulletin, that authentic Christians, again, the book is about authentic Christians, Authentic Christians refuse to let the Scripture become background noise. Authentic Christians, I'm talking people who have real saving faith, real knowledge of Jesus Christ. Not someone who just talks about it, not someone who just counts as going to church, well, that's my Christianity. No, no, no. I'm talking about real and authentic Christians refuse to let the Scripture become background noise. I really think James tells us that. 
But if we really are authentic in our faith, then we won't allow that to happen. How then does the scripture become background noise? Well, if it does, then how does that happen? I think James gives us six reasons why the scripture can become background noise, and at the same time gives us six strategies or remedies for keeping that from happening. Let's look at them quickly this morning. First reason he says, I believe, the scripture becomes background noise is that we are not eager to hear it. We're not eager to hear it. And when he says be quick to hear, he's talking about the word of God. Be quick to hear the word that has given you birth, the word that has been implanted, the word that you ought to be doing, he says, and he he encompasses all that. Be quick to hear. Because it's given us birth, we hunger for it. Just like a baby hungers for sustenance and for life. As Christians, we hunger for what has given us birth. True believers have a desire for God's word. Unbelievers, on the other hand, have a disdain and a resistance continually to God's word. They don't want anything to do with it. You ever met somebody like that? Good person. Just don't tell me about God. Just don't don't, don't bother me with Jesus. Listen, I, you know, that's just that's just fairy tale. That, that's just that's old news. I, I don't believe the Bible. I just think it's it's. It, I, I don't I don't know. I have a resistance to it. True believers have a hunger for God's word, as opposed to those who are not, who really don't care anything about the Bible or its teachings. And there may be times, of course, when that desire dulls. But today, I'm not here to put a guilt trip on you and preach perfectionism. Certainly, none of us are perfect, nor will we ever be until we enter God's presence in heaven. And so there are times when that desire dulls. But there is something inside the authentic Christian that continually comes back to a longing for God's Word. I know that's where life is found. And even in times of seasons where maybe I, I kind of fade away just a little bit, I continually come back to that hunger for God's Word. So James says one way that the Scripture becomes background noise is that we're not quick to hear it. We're, we're not quick to listen to it. You know, the truth is that sometimes we're not so eager to hear it preached. We're not so eager to hear it taught or explained or to read it. Realize that the Bible makes it clear that those who have true and authentic faith should not have to be forced to listen to the Word of God. That, that truly those who are believers in Jesus Christ, though there are seasons of dullness, as I mentioned, they shouldn't have to be forced to come and listen to preach. You shouldn't have to be forced to read the Bible on a regular basis. You shouldn't have to be forced to go to a class where the Bible is being taught. You shouldn't have to be forced to do those. There should be something in you that longs to connect with God's Word when it's being preached, when it's being taught, when it's being explained. You don't really, authentic Christians let nothing get in their way of their desire for the Scripture. You know, the truth is, and I know this to be a fact, there are many folks here who say, you know, I've read the Bible and I don't understand it. I don't, it, it, it talks about some stuff that just, that I don't know what it says. You ever been there? You ever read the Bible that way? And you just think, what? You ever pick up Leviticus and start reading about some of those things? And you think, what on earth? You ever read in the Gospels and Jesus does something and you're like, now wait a minute. That make any sense. Well, why would he say that? Why would he do that? You realize that those who have true and authentic faith experience those things just like all the rest of us do. But that doesn't stop them from continuing to go after the Scripture. Now, again, my goal is not a guilt trip this morning, but I want you to know that we're doing the best we can at Elm Grove to provide for you the means to understand the Scripture in as many ways possible. 
We have classes that meet every Sunday morning that are, that are geared for explanation of the Bible, discussion and explanation. Each Sunday night, we'll meet tonight, but next Sunday night, we'll pick it up with Jeremiah. We're going through a Bible survey course. And every week, you get a handout explaining the different backgrounds to these books and so on. The goal is to help you understand, because sometimes it's difficult to understand, but true and authentic Christians say, you know what? I may not understand, but one day I will. And, and I will continue to go after the Scripture, and I'll continue to study it. Nothing gets in the way. To avoid the Scripture, becoming background noise, we've got to hear it with eagerness. I think you've also got to hear it with discernment. I would caution you to listen both to my sermons and the sermons of anyone else with discernment. Not a critical spirit. Not a critical spirit, but discernment. Does the, does the sermon emanate from the Bible or from the mind of the preacher? And there's a huge difference. There are many times, and I would caution you against this, there are many times when preachers will go to the Bible with a great idea and try to find a verse to support it. Realize how backward that is. I want to be, and I pray every single week, and it takes me a long time to figure it out. God, I want your ideas, and let me just not mess it up. God, you speak your word because it is what saves lives, not my great ideas. So listen with discernment. Listen with eagerness. Listen, I think, also. Hear the word with submission. Submitting to whatever God wants to do in and through me because of the Scripture. The truth is, hearing it won't happen automatically. You've got to seek it out. You have to actively listen. You have to remove distractions when you're listening and reading the Word of God. You have to hear it often sometimes for it to sink in. You have to linger over it. Let it sort of ruminate in your mind. So let's take an inventory this morning on how we hear the Word of God. Are you eager to hear it? Or is it a burden? Did somebody have to force you this morning to get out of bed and come to church? Or was there something in you that said, you know what? I may or may not like that guy who's preaching, but I want to hear God's word this morning. Did somebody have to force you or be eager? Are you constantly checking your watch during the sermon? Everybody just check their watch. Are you constantly doing that? Are you making plans during the sermon? Are you distracted when God's word is being preached? Folks, let me tell you, this is not about me. You're not going to hurt my feelings. You're not going to offend me if I look out and you're checking your watch in the next five minutes. That's not going to offend me. But it is about the Word of God, and it is that important. It is not about me and whether or not I feel like you like me and you're paying attention. That has nothing to do with it. But when someone stands up to preach the Word of God, I pray and I hope that we are not looking for distractions and we're not making plans that we take God's Word, not me, we take God's Word seriously it will do all we can to focus in, to track along with whoever's teaching it, and to listen as best as possible. It will take a few notes if need be. We'll mark something in our Bible we can go back and study later on. In your Bible reading, are you just checking off a list? Yep, did it today. Or is there something inside of you that says, you know what, if I don't read the Word of God today, something's missing. Something's missing in my life. Are you eager to go to a Bible study? To do all you can to present yourself with as many opportunities as possible to hear God's Word. If you're in a Sunday school class, and I challenge our teachers and our folks that are involved, let me ask you this. Let me get personal for a second. Does your class eagerly get into the Word of God and quickly and as quickly as possible within reason? Or is most of the time wasted with conversation that can happen somewhere else? 
is most of the time spent talking about things other than the Scripture, or do we really focus in as quickly as we can? And folks, you may not like that. If you're a leader of a class, I challenge you. Step up to the plate. Make your class about the Word of God and about that primarily. And certainly, I believe within that, you'll build great relationships and you'll have great friendships like you already do. But make your class, teachers, about the Word of God. Why else are we here? There's an aversion to Scripture, I really believe, in our churches today. I had the opportunity not long ago to preach to a group of about 100 teenagers. And it was interesting as I sort of did the introduction and told some stories and made them laugh a little bit that they were engaged. And as soon as I opened the Bible, a light went off. No longer were they paying attention because I wasn't telling stories, because I wasn't making them laugh with something funny that happened to me. But when I opened the Word of God, there was something in that room that changed. I really believe there's an aversion to Scripture. We avoid it sometimes at all costs. We'll do anything else in church but want to get into the Scripture. And I really believe that's why we have an epidemic of biblical illiteracy. We don't know what it says. We don't know about it. We don't know how trustworthy it is. We don't know that it is a more reliable document than anything that many of the ancient philosophers have written. You realize there are more manuscripts of the Bible that are reliable than anything from Aristotle or Socrates or Plato or any of those guys? Sometimes, though, we have such an epidemic of biblical illiteracy, we don't know it, we don't understand it, we don't use it, and therefore, we don't live by it. Are you eager to hear it? Second thing James says is that one reason, another reason that the Bible becomes background noise is that we're too quick to give our opinion on it. Too quick to give our opinion on it. He says, be slow to speak. Be quick to hear it, but be slow to speak it. It's really talking about those teachers in his day who were shooting off of the mouth, so to speak. I've got an opinion on this, and I'd like to talk about this, and I believe this, and I believe that. And they had not prepared to teach or to preach what it is that they were saying. Maybe they were teaching for the wrong reasons, to get attention or to be in control of something. I, I, I heard it said this week as I listened to a preacher preach about this very passage of Scripture. And he really believes, and I join him in this belief, that there should be some sort of holy reluctance, some sort of holy apprehension about teaching God's Word. Does that mean that you shouldn't use your gifts? That's what, no, that's not what it means. We ought to fear misrepresenting God. We ought to fear misrepresenting what God wrote down. And we should do all that we can to be prepared if you're a teacher, to be prepared if you're the preacher, to let it sink in if you're going to lead a discussion. If you're going to talk with someone about it, to understand. Does that mean you have to have complete knowledge? No, no, Don't misunderstand me. But my goal each week, as I said, is to understand the passage of Scripture so that I don't misrepresent what God has already said. I don't want to mess it up. So it shouldn't be something that we rush into. What kind of teachers and preachers should we listen to? Those who are prepared. Those who have given their best energy to knowing and understanding what it is that they'll teach or preach about. And that's part of the reason why I believe in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy and Titus. Paul encourages these guys to say, look, don't be too quick to anoint someone a teacher who is a novice in the faith. Let them prepare. Let them be diligent in their preparation. 
It's like these Christian celebrities that we constantly want to anoint as the next Jesus Christ. Well, maybe if that person will go out and say it for us, then our evangelistic efforts will all be perfect. But unfortunately, we see it over and over. Those folks are not prepared to teach. So we should listen to people who are prepared. And teachers, I challenge you again. If you're a teacher here at Elm Grove, if you're a leader in any way, whether it be from adults down to children, be prepared. You are teaching God's Word. It is serious, and it is important. You can have fun with it. Absolutely, I do each week when I learn something, but be prepared. Take it seriously, and let's make sure that that this is a place where we are prepared to teach and to preach God's Word. He says, be quick to hear it. Be slow to speak it, so so make sure there's not too much of an eagerness just to give your opinion on it. Then he says another one, another reason it becomes background noise is that we are too quick to dismiss it when it convicts and instructs us. We are too quick to dismiss it when it instructs or convicts. He says be slow to anger. Now again, he's talking about God's Word. Now certainly that's great advice for your relationships. Look. Just don't fly off the handle all the time. Great advice, but that's not really what I believe he's talking about in this particular passage. Just be be quick, be slow to anger. That anger, the word he uses there, is really a word for deep-seated resentment. It's this slow boil, this, this underlying resistance to God's Word. And anger when it says something to you that you didn't already think was true, that you disagree with, or... It says something about a particular area in your life that the Bible calls sin, and you say, no, 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 hold on a second. I like this part of the Bible, but I don't like that part of the Bible. Been there? Listen, I, don't, I do that. I try to pick and choose sometimes. It's not the right thing to do, but man, I, I, I wish that were the case, and I could. He says, be slow to anger. When things get personal in the Bible, teachers, when I talk to you about being prepared, what's your reaction? Did you get angry? My goal is not to make you angry. I hope you know that by now. That's not my goal. But I believe the Word of God says be prepared. How did you respond to that? Were you quick to get angry? Now, hold on, you don't even know what I've done all week long. And listen, I was up till 3 in the morning preparing that lesson. Now, who are you to say that I'm not prepared? Listen, I understand. Are we quick to anger? Our country is full of resentment for the Scripture. Full of resentment for the Scripture. Why? Because if the God of the Bible is true, then we're responsible to Him and we're accountable to Him and we have a a decision to make. It confronts our sin, the Bible does. I'm thankful that it does. If it didn't, how on earth would we know what God wanted? It confronts our sin. This quick slow to anger here is about your reaction to God's Word. Talking about a disposition of rejection if you immediately just turn it off. You know, the truth is that Preachers really don't need a soapbox. You know how a preacher likes to get on a soapbox before? Preachers don't really need a soapbox. You know what they need? The Word of God. You know why? Because I could give you all the opinions in the world that I have on sports and politics and religion and family and everything else in the world. But all I really need to do is just let the Word of God speak, and it will do enough convicting as it is. And I really don't have to get on a soapbox. And if you don't believe me, if you don't believe that the Word of God is just enough, you try talking to someone about what the Bible says on divorce when they've already made up their mind. When they're already looking for a way out, try to talk to them about what the Bible says. Try to talk to someone about money when they believe it's all theirs. How about that? 
try to talk to someone about humility, what the Bible says on humility, when somebody's a know-it-all, or they're a self-made person, talk to them about humility from a biblical perspective. Talk to somebody about what the Bible says on submission to Jesus when we've already made up our mind that this is the way it's going to happen and here's what I'm going to do. Talk to somebody about what the Bible says on who they're to date and to marry when their emotions are already involved. And you tell me then if there's not a deep-seated resentment in some people about what the Word of God says. I could easily anger some folks today, this week, next week, not because of my soapbox, but just by pointing out what the Word of God has to say. Why should we not resent it or dismiss it? What does he say? Man's anger, that resentment, does not accomplish, verse 20, God's righteousness. Our goal should be to be as righteous and holy as possible before God. Our resentment for the Scripture, that the Bible says, does not get us there. Don't be too quick to dismiss it, he says. Next, he says, what will cause it to be background noise is an allowance for sin. An allowance for sin. He says in verse 21, therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and evil excess, humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save you. What does he say? Ridding yourself of all moral filth and excess. Realize sin gets in the way of you hearing God's word. That word filth is an interesting word, and it, it was used in, in James' time. It was the medical term for earwax. Now picture that for just a second. What is he saying? Be quick to hear the word of God. And he says, if you've got filthiness in your life, earwax in your ears, you cannot hear the word of God. Interesting how he uses that word. And in essence, he says, you've got to clean them out. Bust out the Q-tips, the jackhammer, whatever you've got to get out. Get the wax out of your ears, he says. Why? So that you can receive what God is saying to you. There are some folks here today, and I have been there, who we have allowed filthiness and sin to infiltrate our lives in such a way that now we, we don't understand or hear anything God is saying. It's not that God has made it confusing. It's that our sin keeps it from getting into our ears. So just clean out the earwax. Clean it out. How about that lesson from church today? Go clean out your ears. James says that sin is what hinders you from hearing God's word. So he says, throw all that stuff off and then put on righteousness and receive then God's word. We talked last week about temptation and sin. If you weren't here, I encourage you to go back and listen to that message. It'll help you understand how to catch sin at the emotional level when it starts to tug at your heart just a little bit before it gets into playing itself out in your life. James here is talking about getting rid of the earwax, the sin that keeps us, the internal, the external sin that keeps us from hearing God's word. The next thing he says that makes the scripture background noise is a lack of teachability. A lack of teachability. How many teachers, current or former, or prospective, do we do we have in the crowd? Raise your hand if you are either hoping to be one day, have been or are a teacher. I raise my hand with you. I, I took early retirement after four years. That was enough. I taught sophomores, and if you're a sophomore, I love you. Not really. Ran me out of the classroom in four years. That's all I taught. If you're a teacher, you know the difference between someone who is teachable and someone who is not. And boy, don't you love the students that are teachable. 
It may not be their favorite subject, but you know what? They'll listen. They actually kind of want to be there. They, they, all, they, they almost seem to want to know what you have to say. Well, those students are rare, aren't they? You say, mm-hmm, let me tell you about those students. I had three in 25 years. You know, I, you know, how many times, though, do students exhibit this lack of teachability? You know, the Bible says, in verse 21, he says, humbly receive. That word humbly there, the most close association that I can figure out is that that points to teachability. Somebody says, you know what, I, I, don't, I don't know it all. Would, would you help me? Would you help me learn? Would you help me understand? Our world is full of know-it-alls. I think we're so insecure that we have to portray that sort of image. The Bible says if you're teachable, God will teach you. It's a lack of teachability, James says. Our pride often causes us to miss what God is saying because we won't allow ourselves to be led and taught by the master teacher who gave us his word. It's another thing that makes the scripture background noise. And then finally, James says, another thing is not seeing its value. Not seeing its value. What does he say? Receive the implanted word, verse 21, which is able to, to save you. Do you see its value? Do you see its power? Do you see its power? In, in class, teachers, how many times did you have a student, or if you were a student at one point, how many times did you ask, when am I ever going to use this stuff? Listen, if you're a math teacher, you get that all the time. When am I ever going to use this? If you're a student, listen, I have no idea. But, don't, don't, don't tell your teachers I said that. The Bible, though, on the other hand, aside from when I taught world history to sophomores, when am I ever going to use this stuff? The Bible is the stuff of real life. You may not see, students, teachers, a great connection between what you're teaching or what you're learning and how that really applies to your life, but you cannot read the Bible and not see the connection to real life. You can't do it. You're reading the Bible then from merely a a critical perspective. You cannot read the Bible and miss the direct connection. It talks about the stuff of life, marriage, and family, and work, and purpose, and eternity, and freedom, and salvation, and growth, and success, and revival in the church, and church growth even. How do we reach more people? The Bible is the stuff of real life. When am I ever going to use this stuff? Every single day. Every day. If you're in a marriage... If you're a family, if you have a job, if you live and breathe, the Bible speaks directly or indirectly to your situation. It has great value. James says it's able to save you, not only save you back then at the moment of conversion, the Bible says, but also continue to provide you power in each and every situation you face. That's the power of God's Word. It's not something that those select few Math majors go on to use calculus one day. Well, I was not like that. There's a direct connection to the real world because it is written by the ruler of the real world. You know, that teachability we talked about, I think, really comes from seeing how the subject matter connects to real life. And certainly the Bible does that. Let me give you six things very quickly as we close. But I believe provide the remedy for keeping the Scripture from becoming background noise. And they're very simple. They pertain to the first six directly. The first is this. Pursue opportunities to hear the Word. Pursue opportunities to hear the Word. I I challenge you this week. Listen to one sermon each day. 
Oh, hold on. Now, listen. That's, uh, now, wait just a second. I listened to one sermon each week. Let me just... And you say that's more than enough. Amen? So, anyway, listen to one sermon each week. Let me get, write this stuff down. Let me give you some radio stations. I'm going to give you three preachers, and I'm going to give you three different times. And they're on every single day. you got no excuse. How about that? I don't either. All right? Here's one. A guy named John MacArthur. John MacArthur, great preacher. He's on 88.1 FM every day at 4 o'clock. That's p.m. You don't have to get up. P.m. 4 p.m. No excuse on that one. Coming home from work, maybe rounding out your day. Chuck Swindoll, another great preacher, 92.1 FM, 9 p.m. Right before you go to bed. Insight for Living, it's called. You should listen to that every night when I was a teenager before I went to bed. Every night. Trying to fill my mind with the scripture as best I could. And then Adrian Rogers, famous preacher from Bellevue Baptist, the late Adrian Rogers. 88.1 FM every day at 12.30 in the afternoon. There's your lunch break. Listen to those three guys, or maybe someone else, but I challenge you, listen with discernment. As I told you earlier, listen to one sermon each day. Or, or also, be, be pursuing opportunity to hear the word. I would, I would encourage you, take what we've learned today, and this week, study it again. Read what we've gone through. And then prepare for next week. Let me tell you what we're going we're to be next week. Verses 22 to 25. Next week, that's what we're going to be. Study that. See what you can come up with. See what you learn about that. Study this passage, the message this week, and study the one for next week. And while you're pursuing opportunities to hear the word, pray for me this week. Pray for me that I will not ever misrepresent God. Pray that I'll prepare. Pray for the teachers in your life. And prepare to hear God's Word. Also, pursue an opportunity to attend a Bible study next week. Sunday morning, 9 o'clock. Attend a Sunday school class. Maybe you'd read all of James this week. You say, that's not even enough. I'm going to read it all. But be determined this week to get yourself in front of the Word of God. One way to make sure the Scripture does not become background noise, pursue opportunity. Take every opportunity you can to get yourself in front of the Word of God. Second is this. Be prepared to speak or to teach. Very simple. He says, be slow to speak, so let's be prepared. Let's be diligent. Digest it. Understand it. Let it simmer in your mind. Know what you're going to talk about, teacher. Speak the words of God from a prepared perspective. Take your role seriously. There's nothing more important. There's nothing more important. If you are a teacher of our young people or our adults or children, whatever it is, there's nothing more important, I promise you this, that you'll do this week than to teach those young people about Jesus. Nothing more important. That doesn't mean that your job is unimportant. Please don't misread me. But there is nothing more important than your responsibility and your role as a teacher of the Word of God. So take it seriously and prepare. Third thing is this. Gladly receive the Scripture's instruction and conviction. This may be the toughest one. Gladly. I didn't say reluctantly. I didn't say, okay. Gladly receive the Scripture's instruction and conviction. Not going to be easy. And you might even have to seek it out. You might have to go to the Scripture and say, All right, God, I want you to instruct me. I want you to convict me this week. Now, what a prayer to pray. But maybe you pray, You know what, Lord? I want every part of my life to be instructed by your Word. I want you to reveal everything about me, even the stuff I'm not thinking about, the stuff I can't see. So gladly receive the instruction and conviction. Because it leads to life, the Bible says. The next thing is this, simply repent. What does he say? One problem is an allowance for sin. The remedy for sin is repentance. I really think that if we live lives of gratitude 
and lives of repentance, that our lives will be much better off. Because most of the time we're ungrateful and jealous, and we let sin live in our lives so much that we don't receive any blessings from God whatsoever. Repent. Sin gets in the way from hearing God. So get out the Q-tips, or in some cases, as I mentioned, the jackhammer, and get rid of that sin in your life. Confess it to the Lord. Stop it at the emotional level before he gets involved. The next thing is be teachable. The lack of teachability causes the Scripture to be background noise, so be teachable. Have a humble desire for guidance and instruction. And then finally, remember what God's Word does. Remember what it does. Today's Mother's Day. Moms, you want to be a great mom? Get yourself in front of the Word of God. Dads, husbands, you want to be a great husband? You want to have a great family? You want to be a great dad? Get yourself in front of the Word of God. You don't need first a self-help seminar. You don't need to go read another book. You need to get yourself in front of God's Word every single day with hunger. Church, if we want to see God do something in our lives, if we want to see revival take place and emanate from Elm Grove Baptist Church through Murray and Callaway County, you know in the Bible where revival always started, you know what they went back to and what their foundation was? The Word of God. It wasn't marketing schemes. It wasn't slick presentations. It was God's Word. Remember what God's Word does in temptation, in your loneliness, in your hurt, in your confusion, when you're carrying burdens you can't handle, when you're in a battle in life and you need help, when you need peace, when you want to know what success is, when you're confused about God's will, you know the Bible speaks to all of that. The Scripture speaks directly to all of the major issues of, of life, and it speaks indirectly to all of the minor issues of life as well through its wisdom and discernment. It's the key to being all that we desire to be and really all God has made us to be. And so we go back to where we started, that authentic Christians refuse to let the Scriptures become background noise. I told you I had two goals today. One is to help you evaluate the authenticity of your Christianity by how you respond to God's Word. So I challenge you, look at that list. Do you pursue opportunities to hear the Word? Are you, are you prepared when you speak it or teach it? Do you gladly receive its instruction and its conviction? Are you repenting on a daily basis of the sins of your life? Are you teachable? Are you focused on what God's Word can do in your life? Well, I hope you are. But if you evaluate your life today and you say, you know what, really, I, I, I don't, I don't even, I just came because Mom invited me. I, I, you know, you've already talked too long. And I'm done. And I don't want to hear anymore. If there is nothing in your heart that draws you to God's Word, I would strongly advise you today to evaluate whether or not your claim to faith, if you have one in Jesus Christ, is legitimate or not. Because if there is nothing in your heart that draws you to the things of God, then it is quite possibly true that there is nothing in your heart that belongs to God. So maybe today, you need to let that message of the gospel that we are sinners, that we deserve eternal punishment, but praise God, He loves us so much to send a Savior for us, to give us forgiveness and eternal life, Jesus Christ, His own Son. And you'd allow that message to come from being background noise to being front and center, and you'd say, you know what? 
I really want to make sure Jesus lives in my heart. Because I'm not sure. Based upon my evaluation of that, I really don't know. The Bible says there is but one way to get to heaven, and it's not by being a good person. It's by simply placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and in that alone. He is the only way for salvation. The Bible says there is no other name given by which we must be saved. That's it. It is the name of Jesus in placing our hope and faith in Him, turning to Him away from our life of sin. Maybe that's the message that's become background noise to you, and you've turned that off. And today you've received that message with gladness because it instructs you on how to have eternal life. And it turns you around from certain destruction. My second goal is to make sure that the Scripture today as you leave is front and center in your life. I hope you see its power. I hope you see its value. I hope you see that the command in the Bible is to not allow it to become background noise. And as a Christian, if you are, that you'll walk away today making it front and center, putting yourself in front of it at every opportunity this week. Would you join me in prayers and close? Lord, today, we know that even in this moment and in the past few moments as I've been talking, Lord, that Satan would love nothing more than to make all that has been said just simply background noise. Just one more sermon, just one more Sunday, just just something else. So, God, today, would you help us evaluate the authenticity of our Christianity based upon our response to your word? Lord, help us to know. Do we truly know you or not? And Lord, for those who say, I'm not sure, I pray, Lord, that they would turn to you in faith, simply asking you to come into their hearts, to forgive them of their sins. And Lord, may they tell you, I I trust you and believe in Jesus as the Son of God. Lord, help the Scripture to be front and center in our lives and never to become background noise. May our lives be about one book and one book only. That book is the Word of God. So, Lord, help us as we leave. We pray these things in Jesus' name.